Welcome to the Indie Pub, a laid-back interview show dedicated to the world of self and indie publishing. I'm your host, Jay Rushing, author of the self-published fantasy noir novel Radio, and a beverage buff with a passion for deep dives and good times. Each episode, a guest will step into the pub with a publishing-related topic and a favorite drink for us to explore and enjoy. Whether you want to sharpen your craft, snag a new cocktail recipe, or just have a laugh, there's always a seat and a full glass waiting for you at the Indie Pub. Welcome to the Indie Pub. Today's guest is Travis M. Riddle. He's the author of many books, including Spit and Song, Flesh Eater, The Narrows, and On Lavender Tides. He's got some fantastic book covers, and he's here to discuss what it's like to work with cover artists as a self-published author. But before we dive in, tell us a bit about what we're drinking here in the pub today. Um, today, by the way, thank you for the such a nice intro. Yeah, um, absolutely. I love the covers, too. I wish I could take credit for them. Um, but today we are drinking uh, bubble tea, a.k.a. milk tea, boba tea. You can, there's a lot of different things to call it. And I, uh, I, saved, I saved my punch for, for you, for the nice. show, because I think one <laughs> of the most satisfying parts of getting it is tearing this big, meaty straw into the top. So here we go. Oh, yeah. There you go. There we go. Well done. <laughs> And I'm I'm drinking taro uh, milk tea specifically. And I got the same. Perfect. We are aligned. <laughs> this will be great. We'll be able to get into the finer nuances of it all. And I'm I'm sure I'll mention this again later, but I'm super excited because every episode we always talk about smell and taste because they're always overlooked in writing. But we get to talk about texture with this drink too, and that's another super overlooked sense. Um, yeah, what's what's better than a drink you can chew? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, tell us a bit about yourself and your work. About myself, I don't know. I guess uh, <laughs> I'm a writer from Austin, Texas. <clears throat> um, and my work, uh, I don't know. I really. I really like to gravitate toward weird things. Um, I like, like, uh, you know, like, I really think that in the fantasy genre, we we don't really appreciate the, like, truly fantastical stuff as much as we could. Because, like, there's, like, obviously so many books are about, like, people doing things. And I, I recognize now it's stupid to say since my new series is about people doing things. But, <laughs> I, I, but I really like, like non-human sort of stuff and i've tried to incorporate a lot of that into my work just to you know really really kind of embrace that like we can do anything and make things as weird as we want um so that's kind of what i try to do with my writing i try to get weird all right so let's start off with some shout outs so you have some great covers just across your catalog so which artists do you work with um, so for Wondrous, I, the thing is with, with all my covers is that even if I've worked with like a really great artist before, um, a lot of my books at the start were like standalone things. And so what I really wanted to go for was to even more give them like a sense of like being very like distinct works and distinct worlds that I, I worked with like different artists for every book, gotcha. really only like working with the same artist if it was like part of a series or like in the same world. Um, so like for Wondrous, I worked with a guy uh, named Aaron Griffin. Um, for the 
Usli and Tails books, which are Balam Spring and Spit and Song. Um, I worked with a guy named Amir Zand, whose work I've seen popping up more and more uh, throughout the years. And I think he's done <clears throat> he's done work for some media things. I think he did like a Mortal Techniques art book or something like that. Um, not Mortal Techniques. That's the Rob Hayes thing. What am I thinking of? The thing with the big like city on like a on wheels or something. Oh, mortal oh. instruments maybe something like that. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, but I can't think of the title either. Mortal engines maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, did, but like the moving some, city, the movie city. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did some concept art for for that. Um, and then for the narrows, I worked with a guy named Luke Valentine. Um, and then for the Houndstooth series, see, I told you there's too, there's so many artists. Um, <laughs> for Houndstooth, I just worked. I worked at the design company called uh, Deranged Doctor Design, and they they did like all the typography and all the design, like art stuff. And now for this new series uh, with On Lavender Tides, um, I'm working with uh, Baj Singh. I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name. Um, and then Deranged Doctor is like doing the like typography and design elements for it while he does the illustrations. Okay. So what was your process like when it came to finding these cover artists for your book? Um, really it's been the same for all of them. And what I start with is I, I go to art station. Have you ever browsed no. through there? It's really great. You should you should check it out um, next time you need any art, or if you just want to look at some good uh, pictures, it's a great place for pictures. Um, but there's like thousands of artists on there, and you can kind of like you can filter like you don't even have to really search for anything in particular, and you can just kind of filter whether you want like two D art or three D art, and from there, if you want it like hand illustrated or digitally illustrated. Um, and then from there you can do like a genre of thing. Like, do you want animals? Do you want landscapes? Do you want like video game stuff? Do you want action? Um, you can really narrow it to like exactly what you want. Um, and so I would go on there and kind of, I would always like have like a sort of vision of what I want the artwork to be. And so then I would just apply those filters based on kind of the style that I was going for and then just browse through all the artists on there that pop up, um, see who's open for commissions, um, look at some more of their like samples, see if like I can envision the, the scene that I'm thinking of in their style. Um, and yeah, just kind of, I spend like hours and hours just going through all those results and then like making a list of artists, um, that I want to contact and their like email addresses and stuff. And then um, I kind of just put a, a bunch of feelers out at once just in case, like, I mean, like every 10 people you email, like probably like five are not going to respond to you. So and then the others like might be out of, out of your price range or something. So I, I just contact a bunch of people, kind of like explain to them the idea I had in mind um, and see if that's something that they think that they like could illustrate. And then um find out like what their rates are and, and their availability and stuff like that. I see. So ArtStation then is kind of just a platform for finding the artist and then all of the actual business dealings happen directly with the artist. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. ArtStation 
to me, I mean, I'm not an artist, so I might be misspeaking, but it seems to me just a place to, for like artists to basically like put their portfolios up. Gotcha. And so it has like a bunch of their work and then like their about page like has like companies they've worked for, whether they're open to like freelance stuff or contract work or if they're only looking for like studio jobs or something like that. And then it has like their email addresses and websites and stuff like that and like programs that they're proficient in and things like that. So it's really like a portfolio resume thing all in one, it seems like. Okay, so when the artists who do write back to you write back and you've got a few to choose from, what is it that helps convince you do that kind of final decision making on which one you're going to go with? What are, what are the – the things that really stand out for you as, as an author? Um, to be perfectly honest, the price is a big, um, component. Um, cause realistically at this point, like I'm not really emailing any artists that I think would like do a bad job at what I'm thinking of. And so at this point, sometimes it does come down to like, if, if their rate is cheaper than this other person, then, that's kind of what I have to go with because I don't have like a huge budget for stuff like this. Yeah. Um, so that, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, and other times it's, it, it's even kind of just like the vibe of like the email exchange. If, if they seem like a, like cool kind of casual person to work with. Um, yeah, those those are really like big things. As, after I get past the stage of like finding artists who I think do good work, you know, I even I actually in this last when I was doing um, my research for the on lap for on lavender tides, I actually did find a bunch of people and I contacted them. Only like two replied, or actually had th three of them replied. Two of them were incredibly expensive like they did great work but it was just not something that i could afford and then this last guy was like yeah that sounds good he had a price that i could that i could afford and then um i explained everything to him he's like yeah that sounds good and i was like okay let's do it and then like two weeks passed and i didn't hear anything from him and then i emailed him again i was like hey just wanted to see if like you were starting anything because you said you would at this point. Um, I just want to see what's up. And he, another two weeks passed and I didn't hear anything. Jeez. And so, so at this point I was like, I need to find someone because like I'm running out of time now. And so I, I went back to square one and started searching for more new people because all the other people I had contacted before either were too expensive or didn't respond to me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found Baj, who I ended up going with, is at this point. Um, and so I emailed the original guy, and I was like, hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you'll even read this, but I'm going with someone else because you haven't responded in a, over a month. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was kind of a blessing in disguise that I – I ended up finding this really great illustrator whose work honestly fits the project better than the original guys did. And he's like a, just a really cool guy to like chat with and work with. Um, so I'm glad that original guy ghosted me. <laughs> <laughs> Leveled up that way. Yeah. Um, so speaking of these email exchanges, let's talk a little bit about what a successful, um, 
commission commissioning process would be like with one of these artists. So what what does that email conversation look like for you? Um so straight from my first email to them, like when I'm making my introductions, um, I always feel like it's important at that point to like lay out exactly what I have in mind for the cover. Um because I mean I don't know <clears throat> everyone's different and even if they have work that's like kind of similar to what i'm thinking of they might read my description and think like i can't do that because i mean that's i mean that happens to me with with my own type of work like i there's a stuff like i don't know how to do this <laughs> um and i don't i don't want to do this so i i want i just want to like make it very clear up front like this is what i'm looking for do you think you can do this if not that's fine i'll look for someone else um, so yeah, I kind of lay that out in as much detail as I think is reasonable for an introduction email. I, and I, I do say like, this is generally the idea. I can give you more details if you think this sounds good. Um, and then I like ask what their rates are, what their availability is. Cause I mean, I'm sure as you know, as like indie authors, we, we're, we're setting our own deadlines, but we do have like deadlines that we're trying to hit so for sure once those wheels get in motion right it's hard to stop them yeah so like if someone's not available to start for like another nine months then they're probably not who i'm going to go with and so i want to know that right from the start so i can keep looking um so yeah basically you just explain who i am what what my like what this project is really about what i'm looking for in a cover and then i ask them for those details and then, um, yeah, if, if it, if it sounds good, we kind of proceed from there and I, um, explain things in even more detail, maybe like even copy and paste, like specific descriptions from the book or anything. If it's like supposed to be a specific scene or if a character needs to look a specific way on the cover, um, kind of describe like what the tone of the project is, um, <clears throat> You know, just think things like that, just really giving them as much detail as possible so that they can kind of then take it from there and, and get started. All right, let's jump into our drink here. Okay. Our our wonderful bubble slash boba slash milk tea. It's got a great color, huh? It does, yeah. Just like that almost blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right, so like I said before, every episode we talk smell and taste because those details get overlooked in writing all the time. And today we are also going to talk about texture and I'm super excited for this one. <laughs> so when you take a nice pull on the giant straw <laughs> for this bubble tea, what are you experiencing? What are those tastes and those smells and especially the textures that are happening for you? I want to say first off that I didn't even realize this before, but purple drink on lavender tides hey there you go hey look at that <laughs> um all right let me see let me let me get the full experience here real quick okay so it's like super sweet <laughs> the thing i don't know if your place did this but a lot of boba places they ask you like what you want your sweetness level to be mm-hmm did yours ask you about no, the sweetness I, I level? No, just, I just ordered and they handed it to me, so. Wow, a lot of places you can get like 100% sweetness, 75%, 50%, uh, 
but I'm a little sweet boy, so I always go, I just say, <laughs> give me how it comes. I yeah. want 100%. Um, and I also get no ice because um, I don't want it obstructing uh, my bobas down nice. there. You're a, you're a boba purist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like super sweet. It's like a it's a it's taro flavored, which um, always is kind of like a to me it tastes kind of very like vanilla, but with like a little bit of earthiness to it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. an earthy vanilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And it's super creamy because it's like it's milk tea. It's not like thick, but it's like got that creaminess to it. There's a good viscosity and, going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got the bobas in there, the little tapioca balls. So when you're like sucking up through that big straw, you get that nice, cool, sweet drink. And then all of a sudden there's like six balls <laughs> shooting into your mouth. Um, and then you just get to chew those bad boys. They're like very soft, but chewy. Mm hmm. And they're kind. They're pretty sweet, also. But they're. I don't even know. Like, how would you describe the flavor of those? I don't even know. I don't understand it, but I like it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, all throughout my life growing up, if I had the little pudding cups, I'd always go for the tapioca one. I I really love that, and and both the texture and the flavor. These, it's like a. They're like slimy, kind of, but but like in a good way. Yeah, it's. I really like chewing on them because it it the outside is almost mush not quite like it's barely held together and then by the right. time you bite to the center it's almost too hard <laughs> so it's kind of like you get the full range of uh springiness i guess you would say yeah but yeah flavor wise i guess i don't know it definitely <laughs> has one but i can't uh-huh it's very like unique like i, I, I mm -hmm. don't know if i've had anything like it before and mine, I also get, I don't know if you can see, I get like these, it's, they just call it flan pudding, but it's like, it's like mm. a cube of flan, I guess. Oh. And, which you would think would not be conducive to like <laughs> sucking up through a straw, but that is like so soft that like just pressing your straw into it, it like, it completely tears through it. And so you can just suck little chunks of that right up too. <laughs> Flan's one of my favorite desserts. There's a when I lived in France, it would they so there's like Mexican flan, right, with the like the caramelly syrup over the top and all of that. But French flan is it's baked into a pie crust, mm. and it's a little bit firmer, so you can eat it like a pizza slice. That's cool. I like it's that. Amazing. <laughs> it just walking around, it's kind of ridiculous walking around this big like huge chunk of dessert and just eating it like pizza, but it's amazing. <laughs> I like that. What was so like? I think you said you had not tried this before. I've had bubble teas maybe two or three times in my life, but each time okay. I have it, it's always years apart. So I, I don't have a lot of built-up experience with. Them. Okay, I was. I, if if it was your first time, I was gonna wonder like what <laughs> your experience was like having it for the first time, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always it, it happens so infrequently that I get it. It, it is always <laughs> kind of a refreshed shock a little bit. Yeah, it, 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 there's a there's a, a technique that I would assume someone would develop for the liquid to tapioca ball ratio as you're as you're sucking it up the straw. I find that <laughs> I am either going way too slow or way too fast. 
Yeah, so I, don't, I, I always don't end up to... with a bunch at the at the bottom of the cup that I just kind of have to suck up dry, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's still I don't fun. know. I don't know about yours, but mine has almost like a. And I, I'm assuming this is coming from the tarot, but it it's almost like a baked good quality, mm. like not like not cookies and not bread <laughs> and not graham cracker. Actually, maybe a little bit graham cracker. Now that I think interesting. Of it. Just a touch. I don't know. There's there's some sort of carby, right? Carby flavor going on, which makes I guess makes sense. But yeah, yeah, I guess so. I didn't really think about that. Actually, that does make sense. It's good. I don't. I feel like you don't really get taro as a flavor in a lot of things. Generally, just like I guess like Asian like bakery sort of stuff, and yeah. like and this. Um, but I love it. I think it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, I think that the main times I've had taro was like the once or twice I've been to Hawaii. I think they use it quite a bit there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump back into our topic. Um, and I want to talk about a tricky question here. Okay. Art- artistic direction. When oh, it comes yep. to the covers. So when you're working with a cover artist, how much input into the design of the cover do you have as the mm-hmm. author? And how much artistic and or design freedom do the artists require or request? Um, so I guess with all of um, – with everyone that I've worked with, I think it's been kind of like 50-50. And the way I approach it is that like I always have an idea in my head of like what what I want the cover to be. Like I know if it's like a certain – it's it's usually like a scene that I have in my mind. Um, and so the way I do it is that I, I explain everything to the artist and then I tell them like sometimes there are details like just from the book, like continuity things. Like I tell them like this, like this person's hair needs to be this color and like this thing needs to be this color or this shape or whatever. And I say, like, besides that, like, you're the artist. I'm not. Like, you can just do what you think, like, looks good as far as, like, colors or, like, scene composition or really anything. Like, as long as you get these few details matching what they are in the book, like, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, and sometimes there, there have been times where, like, I then get something back from the artist and I see it. And when I see, like, some direction that they've gone, I do think, like, okay, this, like, isn't really, like, what I think this should be. And so I'll tell them, like, this one part, I think, should be more kind of like this. And then they, they've they always just been like, okay, yeah, sounds good, and they go fix it. Thanks. Um, but, yeah, so generally, like, aside from the few details that I need, I'm pretty, like, hands-off with it, and I, I trust that – whatever they're going to give me is going to look great, which has always been the case. <laughs> like, I think really only like one time that I can think of, I, I have had to do that where I've said like, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. We need to change this. 
And so let's talk a little bit about that process, kind of the drafting process of the cover. Uh Um, How much back and forth is there? Is it kind of a, you know, one or two rounds? Is it open-ended depending on what you need? What does it vary artist to artist quite a bit? What's been your experience there? Yeah. As, as I've mentioned, I've worked with, with a ton of different artists. Um, and it, it does vary. And again, since, since I kind of want to be like hands off and let them do their thing, that's another thing I mentioned in the emails is that I'm like, just let me know like what your process is. Like I'm, I'm down for whatever your creative process is. And so like with like the Usley and Tails covers, like the like the first drafts that I would get from Amir were like really detailed and like fairly close to like what ends up being the final cover. And with him, I really didn't even like go through any edits. He just kind of would like send me drafts and be like, how's this look? And I'm like, looks great. <laughs> Keep going. Um, whereas like with the the cover for the Narrows, that one was kind of crazy because I like contacted the artist on like a Monday on like Tuesday, we agreed to work together. And then like Thursday, maybe I think he sent like a, like the first thing he sent me was like an almost like finished piece. Oh, wow. And I was like, this looks great. And then literally on Friday, like four days later, like it was done. Like it was signed off. Like we're finished. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so there was really like not much back and forth with him. He kind of the the idea that I had for it was kind of like based on a like a set of art pieces that he had done that I saw on his art station. Oh, I so I was like, I kind of like want just this style in this pose and this color. And so like he knew exactly what to do with that. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> And then, like with with Baj for this for this latest uh, series, has actually been the most like detailed back and forth that I've done with any of the artists. Um, I actually just a week or two ago put up like a whole process post on my Patreon, going through it and like showing the different like images that he sent back and forth. Oh, nice. Um, but with him. What we kind of did was I explained the scene to him and then what he did was he. He sent back like six small black and white thumbnails based on that idea, and but just like with different like framing, like different angles, like low angles or high angles, different like character positions, um, stuff like that. Basically just like six different like variations on the same idea. And he would have like his comments below saying like, why he did things a certain way in this one. And like, he would say like, this is my favorite. I think maybe this one would be best, something like that. Um, and so from there I chose one of those six thumbnails. And then from there, what he did was he then did a few thumbnails in color, basically taking that composition and just doing like different color schemes for it. Um, and asking me like, what, what, which of these do you like best? Like, what do you think pops the most? What fits the the tone the best? What stands out to you? Um, and then I would choose that one. And then from there, he would start on like the final piece based on that composition and that color scheme. And um, 
he we would go back and forth a lot. He would send several drafts, putting in like more and more details. Um, and then finally, like once I signed off on all the like major stuff, that's when he would then go do like his final polish, just like cleaning things up a bit, adding like some texture to different things, putting in little details like birds flying or something, or like adding moss to a rock, stuff like that. Um, and that was, that's basically the process with him. So, so those, those ones were a lot more involved, but it was like really fun being able to like see more of like his like sketching process and being able to be a lot more involved with like the specific picking of like how things are framed, like what colors are used where stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I've done, I've done two covers with him now. He's already done the cover for book two. Um, yeah. Um, I'll show, I'll show it to you after this. It's like really dope. It's, it's really crazy. Um, Behind the scenes access. Yes. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, probably sometime in the next like month or two, I'm going to schedule with him to work on book three. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been really great and I, it's been really cool. Like seeing everything from start to finish. It was really fun with like Luke just being (laughs) Like the first thing I get sent is like almost a final product. Um, that was cool in its own way, but but I, I do like being able to like see every step of the way with this new series. And now, for each cover and with each artist, has it pretty much been a nice, smooth, positive thing, or have there been some times when it's been stressful? I mean, I guess the guy ghosting you, but yeah, that was stressful. Um, <laughs> But yeah, really everyone I've worked with, it's been really positive. Um, yeah, I've had no, I've, I've, I've genuinely had no bad experiences. Like the worst thing that has happened is with like the Dirt King cover. I just had to say like, this piece should be a different color. Like, like that, that's like (laughs) as stressful as it has gotten really. All right, so then let's talk about the back cover. So I'm assuming you handle the copy. Um, right. But are the cover artists handling – I'm assuming each cover artist is handling front, back, and spine? Um, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of varied again there. Okay. Um, so some people, like Amir with the Usley and Tales books, he said – right off the bat like oh i also do like typography and stuff if you want me to do that and i hadn't really thought about like who i was going to get to do that or if i was going to do it so i was like yeah sure go ahead so he did it on those um with wondrous it was my first book and i was just starting out um and i hadn't really thought about that aspect of it and so like the illustrator did the illustration and sent it to me and then i was kind of like well i don't have any words or anything on this um, and then I asked him like, how much would it be to like get this stuff added? And it was really expensive and I'd already paid a lot for the art. And since it was my first book, I was like, I can't, I don't know if I can put more into this. And so mm-hmm. I did all the design stuff for that book. <clears throat> um, and with the narrows, it was kind of, it was kind of like both like he did he like made all the elements and then i kind of like put it all together in photoshop to get it finalized um 
And then working with Deranged Doctor for the Houndstooth stuff, I don't know, it was like a really eye-opening experience as far as like what like sort of design elements could be used um, on stuff like this. Because that's like their whole, that's like their main thing, I guess. Like they, they do do, like they will make like covers for uh, authors, but they also will take like illustrations and then like just do the design part of it. Mm. Um, but for Houndstooth, they did everything. And I don't know, I, I really love their like style of like typography and the different like design ornaments and stuff that they put on things. <clears throat> and working with them was like a super positive experience because they're they're really they respond quickly to emails they get they like their turnaround on stuff is is pretty fast um because they're they're like a whole company with like a ton of like employees and stuff working on these different projects so it's very organized it's very fast um and they're also really receptive to like any changes you want um so like everything they did on Flesh Eater, I thought was like great. There was the, like one of the letters and like the R and Eater like looked weird or something, or maybe it was the E. I don't remember. It made it. It looked like a like a different letter and it looked confusing. And so I told them like, can you just like change this? And like an hour later, it was changed and it looked oh, great. Nice. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, there was like a ton of different like ornaments and stuff like on the spine, on the front, on the back. There's like a whole like border around the like back cover copy um that i thought looked so dope and then like for book two when they were doing it they put that same ornament on there but like with the book two colors and i was kind of like well can you would it be possible to like do a different border to like differentiate between the books and then like again like an hour later like it was done and it looked beautiful oh that's great um yeah so it looked great. It looked better than anything I could have ever done or did do with Wondrous. Um, and it was like so easy and they're like so professional about it. And like there's I, I don't have any worries about like spine stuff, like not aligning between books because I trust that they're going to measure that stuff. Whereas for someone as stupid as me, it could get very confusing and I wouldn't feel confident about what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, my, it's funny that you bring up borders because it's, I'm I'm lucky and my wife is a graphic designer. So for my cover, Beautiful. I just got to keep it in the family. Um, but I remember <laughs> when we were when we were start, starting to first think of the designs, she was even being a professional designer, she was a bit apprehensive about borders because you can't always trust how they'll print. So that's actually a really big deal that that company was not only willing to do borders like that for the printing, but also all willing to and able to make those changes so quickly. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And what's also great about it is that like, as I'm sure, you know, like the, the size of the cover is based on like the, the amount of pages that the book yeah. is. And that like changes the spine width and like KDP has like calculators and stuff to figure that out. But it only really it like rounds kind of it like rounds yeah. to the nearest, whatever which always makes me nervous because it seems like not good um, <laughs> for them to do that. Um, but like this is a professional company that that like literally specializes in like self-published authors covers and like they mentioned like they talk on their website about like knowing the KDP specifications and like the Ingram spe specifications and everything. Yeah. 
so again, I felt really confident handing everything over to them and just being like, here's the stuff. This is the page count. And then I know like whatever they send back is going to be exactly the size that it needs to be without me having to worry about it. Um, and so that's why when it came to doing the new series, like I found the illustrator I wanted, but then I also knew like, I, I kind of just want to take an illustration and hand it to them to derange doctor again and like, let them do all the design stuff. Cause I really loved what they did with the houndstooth series. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really, it was a really smooth, great process doing that with them also. Well, let's talk a little bit then about the end of the process. How does the payment tend to work? I mean, I'm assuming it's a little bit different with the company versus individual artists. Um, but also, if you're willing to give kind of just a rough ballpark estimate for the listeners, what they can expect to be paying for a cover from from artists or from this company or, or whatever. doesn't have to be mm. your exact numbers, but just kind of a rough, rough ballpark estimate. I guess the answer to both those things, and I guess the running theme of this whole thing is that it just varies by artist. Mm -hmm. um, like some people I've just paid like through a PayPal invoice. Some people have asked like to just do like a straight bank, bank transfer so they can avoid PayPal fees. S some people I've literally just paid on Venmo. <laughs> um, and the cost, the the cost um, can vary a lot also. Um, like the like the price for Wondrous, um, straight up, like my first book, I... So, so, like, I mean, I know, like, as a reader, like, the cover art is, like, so important. Because, like, if something just has, like, a lame, like, unprofessional-looking cover, like, I'm probably not even going to, like, read the synopsis because I'm going to think, like... There was not a lot of work put into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I knew like I needed like a professional looking nice cover. <clears throat> um, and being a naive, stupid, like first time author, I also thought that that was going to help me skate by, even though I had like no readership or fan base or anything. Um, I thought it was not going to be lost in the wave of uh, books because it had such a nice cover. So I did drop like a grand on the cover um which is money i at this point i have just accepted like i'm never gonna make back on that book like that book was a loss um and that's fine um but since then i've been a lot more diligent and kind of like like i said like an artist rate is like a super mm -hmm. important thing and like if it's cheaper than another artist that's an attractive thing to me because I mean, I do do this because I like it, but also, like, I don't, like, want to lose money on For each sure. book. For sure. Like, I want, I want to make the money back and then preferably, like, a profit on it also. Um, so I've tried to avoid situations like that again. Um, but still, it, it, it varies. It's – you're probably going to at least spend probably, like, at least, like, $500 on a cover – like minimum i have had a cover that cost like 200 which was great um and like with deranged doctor it, it kind of depends on what style of cover you commission from them because they do a few different 
things. I chose like a symbol cover as opposed to something with like humans or anything on it. Um, and if you do commission like a, like a full series at the same time, as opposed to like one book at a time over several years, um, which I did, I, I, I had written the whole series and then started to like work on publishing it. So I, I, I knew, I knew like what all the titles were. I knew what I wanted to be on all the covers. I generally knew how long they all were. So I was able to commission them all at once and they do a discount for you if you do that. Oh, nice. Okay. So like the cost of the entire Houndstooth trilogy covers was like less than the Wondrous cover. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So like that was a great deal. Um, yeah. So I think you can expect probably for like a really good illustrator, probably like at least like 500. Um, but it can, it can get up there to like 900 or a thousand, just kind of depending on who you're going with, how in demand they are. Um, and then I know like getting like design work done can be, that can be another like $500 even. Um, but, um, deranged doctor actually one of the, one of the reasons besides enjoying working with them before, one of the reasons I went with them for the design stuff for on lavender tides is that, um, what was it exactly? It's for like taking an illustration and just doing the design was like a hundred dollars or something. And I think it's like an extra 70 or something if you do paperback and not just ebook. Um, so it's like a hundred dollars for the first book. And then if it's a series, they only charge you like $50 for each subsequent book plus whatever the paperback fee is. I don't remember exactly. Um, so I mean, given some of the other rates I'd seen for design work, um, that was like far and away the best price out there and they do really good work. Um, so yes, that's another thing to consider with price. If you're, um, trying to do like an illustrator and then also like someone else doing the design, but some mean sometimes an illustrator will do all that stuff for you also. Um, but yeah, the cost can add up for sure. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good information to have because I feel like a lot of people don't because because the cover is so often saved for the end. I feel like it can kind of be like a shock when you finally get there and you're just about ready to yeah. publish. And then all of a sudden you're slammed with this new purchase you have to make. So it's good. It's good to have that information up front for sure. Yeah. And like good design, good design is all, is just as important as like a good illustration because you have like mm -hmm. the most beautiful piece of artwork. And then some like ugly, plain, like lettering on the front. Yeah, I can like tank the whole thing and give you that unprofessional look that you're trying to avoid, even if you have like the the most glorious piece of like original commissioned art that you've ever seen. Yeah, I feel like with with covers, it's that, you know, someone could build the most amazing machine ever. And then if they just spray paint it. Yeah. At the end, you'll yeah, never exactly. know because it's like you spend all of this time creating something wonderful and then you're willing to just settle at the end, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like how it's how you choose to present all of this hard work you've done. And exactly. Yeah. And it, it doesn't reflect what the story is in reality, but it's the only way people know to start, basically. Yeah, like the work will speak for itself in the end. But like you've got to get people through the door first to even give it a shot. That's a great way to put it. All right. So let's jump back to our drink again. If you are willing. Yes, I'd like I'm almost to... I'm almost out. I know I'm I'm getting down there too. 
So if you are willing, would you do a little world building for us? So thinking about whether it's for you or a character from your stories or a brand new character, could you set the scene for the perfect place to enjoy a bubble tea? All right. Look, I've already got it. It's easy. Okay. It's easy. (laughs) Because I did this last summer. And it also, let me tell you, ties right in to my new book. So it's perfect. Because my new book, the setting, is inspired by the Hawaii Islands. And last summer, I took a trip to Hawaii. It was it was much delayed. We were uh, <laughs> we were literally um, I want to say five days from flying out on our vacation when like everything shut down because of COVID. <laughs> So that was excellent. That was an excellent start to the lockdown. <laughs> um, so we finally got to go on the trip last summer after uh, we got vaccinated and everything. And everything was good. Was, well, not good, but better. Yeah. Um, so the perfect setting is to go grab you one of these bubble teas, whatever flavor you like. I like the taro, as we all know. <laughs> um, and then get yourself in... Hawaii, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in Hawaii, and just uh, walk down the sidewalk, do a little window shopping, grab yourself maybe like some masubi or something, walk along the beach, the sand is so soft over there, and just uh, look out at the waves, listen to the, listen to the waves as you, as you suck up your little, your little tea. Perfect. That sounds really nice. All right, so what are some tips, tricks, or advice that you would give authors who are just starting out on their hunt for getting a cover artist? I think the best piece of advice is something I kind of already touched on, is, but is that, like, the cover is extremely important because it's the first thing anybody sees about your book. <clears throat> So you do need to invest your money in it, but do not be like me and invest too much money in it (laughs) because some people do get lucky and their first book they put out is popular, gets a lot of readers, and you will make your money back off of it. Um, But it's it's really – it's not the easiest thing in the world, and you don't want to be like me. Um, putting over a thousand dollars into some book that you like, you're never going to make the money back off of it. <clears throat> um, so I mean, definitely like save up and know that you're going to need to invest a good amount of money into this part of the process, but don't like, I don't know how to word it. Just don't, don't like go too overboard with it. Like if something does seem really like out of your price range, like just take a step back from it. It may be tempting because the artist is so good, but at the end of the day, you it is like a business decision that you have to make, um, and you got to make smart decisions. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so so paralleling that, other than your steep 
price tag on the first book. Are there any mistakes or pitfalls or just general things that you would like to warn authors about before they start the process? Um, hmm. I don't know about any like pitfalls per se. I would just say maybe kind of like pay attention to the details, maybe like have a clear vision in mind when you're starting out um, so that there can be like some cons- – I mean a lot of people write series, and so what I'm thinking mainly is like – so there's like consistency among your series because I know I personally and I've seen it reflected a lot in people online is that like we really like a series to like match and like look good together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so just like, I don't know, like really think about like what your vision for this thing is so you can execute it to the best of your ability. And so that there's like a consistent style and tone across the books. Okay. Let's talk just pure covers now. What are some of your personal favorite book covers from other authors, and why do you think they worked so well? Okay, let me see. I, I've got a few of these pulled up. Oh, nice. Let me see. Is there like a chat thing in here? Yeah. So I'll send you. I'll send you the links to them also. Okay. The first one is um, "Things Have Gone Worse Since We Last Spoke" by Eric Larocca, or Larocca. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I sent the link over. It's a horror novella that came out last year. Um, it's like an epistolary novel about these two women, um, in an online chat room. Um, it's really nasty. It's really messed up. It's good stuff. And it's also nostalgic in a way. Um, if you were on AOL and messenger a lot, (laughs) um, but like, as you can see on this cover, like, I, I don't know. It's like, so gross like there's like a lot of like texture to it um and i will say for anyone listening this i'm i am talking about specifically there's like a new edition of this coming out later this year um it got picked up by a bigger publisher um but i'm talking about the original novella release it's got like a blue background um but yeah i don't know it's like it's such a striking illustration that like very perfectly like tells you what the tone of this story is going to be like it's about a young woman and obviously (laughs) something awful is happening to her um but even beyond that like i said just like it has like so much texture and like character to it that is just like i don't know it's very unsettling and it's very unlike any other like book cover that i've seen yeah it's really cool i love the the technique of the like I've seen that kind of destroyed art cover before, mm-hmm. but the color choice and the texture and just the way that it's executed is really cool. Yeah, it's like her face is like smeared across almost. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love that cover. Um, yeah, another one that I thought of when you asked me this was um the combat codes by alexander darwin which you might be familiar with I don't yeah know. 
Um, <clears throat> this one actually, he had like a much simpler cover for this before, and then it kind of like the whole series got a redesign with this new art style. Um, and I don't know, I think it like, it, it so perfectly evokes the like, style of the series which is like kind of like action thrillers almost they're like science fantasy sort of like almost teetering on like sci-fi and so like all the all the covers of the series are kind of like they look like movie posters almost with like the floating heads and like the different elements fading mm-hmm. into each other and stuff and the like very dynamic text um but I, I don't know i think it looks so cool and it like fits with that like it's like the books feel like blockbuster movies almost. And that's like what this cover is, you know? Yeah. I think it's yeah. dope. And it, and the, the art all, style all the, is really great. The color choice is really great. Yeah. And, and I've, I've seen like photos people have posted of like the paperbacks all lined up together. Mm. And man, the, the, the spines on these things are so slick. I love, I love a good spine. Yeah. And, and these <laughs> ones have great ones. <clears throat> Um, oh shit, I just lost the link. Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear on this. Also. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> okay. Good, well, shit, then. Um, <laughs> this is the last one I was thinking of, and it's the the Traitor Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. Um, this one is, is another where it's like, it's not really indicative of anything that, like, specifically happens in the book. It's not like a scene from the book or anything, but it, like so perfectly encapsulates like the tone of the story. Like you can tell just from like the like color palette and like the imagery and even the typography that this is like, it's not really like an epic fantasy, like pulp fantasy sort of thing. It's a much more of like a mature tone to it, I guess. For sure. And like a melancholy kind of tone, um, which is also kind of indicative of the title. Um, but I don't know, there's something so, like, compelling and, like, intriguing with, like, just this, like, very, like, passive woman's face that's, like, being shattered. But she's just, like, emotionless. Yeah, I think it's very porcelain. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's such an interesting image that, like, when I saw it, it just made me want to know, like, what is going on in this book. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that. That's it, right there, right? That's the key. Exactly. You want to make people feel exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, those are those are the three that I that immediately came to mind when you posited this question. Perfect. All right, Travis. It is last call here at the Indie Pub. Can you give us an indie published book or two or three or more that you want more people to check out? Sorry, I'm trying not to be to loudly slurp the bottom of the <laughs> of this right. thing. Um, it's just adding a little audio texture. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I've got I've got a few. Um, the first two is kind of like a joint um, recommendation because um, they're they're two like indie series that I feel like probably a lot of your listeners have like heard of, but I just want to give the I want to give people the push to actually check them out. One is the Wildfire Cycle by D.P. Williscroft, um, the first book being King's Hold. Um, basically, the first book is about like, what if the king and queen died and we decided to have a, a democracy instead um, now that they're gone? Um, 
And I think this the whole series fits a really great. It's it's it does a nice balance of like being like this grand epic fantasy sort of story, while also still being like very character driven and like a lot of like lighthearted moments in between the like big dramatic reveals and stuff. Um. And it was originally published in a slightly more confusing way. There's like main books and then like short story collections in between that like are actually vital to to the story, but maybe doesn't seem like it because they're not it's not called like book two and stuff. So I think that kind of threw people off. But he did just recently publish re relaunch them with really fantastic new covers fitting the topic of the uh, episode. Um, but he also like combined them into more concise volumes. Um, so now if you just buy like volume one, two, and three, like you're good to go. You have everything, everything in there that you need. Nice. And there is one more book coming out and it's really good. It's one of my favorite series, uh, self-published or otherwise. I think it's really great. Um, and the other is the rain catcher's ballad by Stephen McKinnon. Um, the first book being symphony of the wind, which was a SPFBO finalist a few years ago. Um, but I mean, I think the whole series has like lived up to the promise of that first book. It's really, they're really like fun bombastic, uh, again, like blockbuster type of, uh, books. Like they have tons of like really crazy, like action set pieces and all of them. Um, they really are like the closest to like watching a movie that I've gone to. Um, another one is a pretty new book. It's a progression fantasy called the enchanter by Tobias Begley. Um, it's about a, I mean, it's, it's kind of a typical setup of like a kid going to like a magical academy and learning magic. Um, but I think his, his characters are really, uh, really good. And there's also like a, specific focus if you couldn't guess based on the name um of him like enchanting like items and like imbuing items with magic and like that's kind of like how he progresses his abilities and like how he approaches combat and stuff like that so i thought that was like a really interesting kind of unique focus that you don't really get a lot of in books, um, focusing more on like how to enchant an item and like what advantages that can give you as opposed to just like slashing someone up or like throwing a fireball at them or something. For sure. Um, and then the last one just really quick is pretty much any graphic novel by Evan Dom. Um, he's got like rice boy Island book, Vatu order of tales. Um, I just think all of his work is really, fantastic and interesting and weird and unique and i don't know his approach to like world building and stuff has been a big influence on my recent stuff and i just think a lot of more people should be aware of him and check him out nice. okay same question but for any other media indie or not okay i'll try to keep this fast also <laughs> i know we're at the hour mark um the first one will just be another book. It's called um, Manhunt by uh, Gretchen Felker Martin. Um, it's like a post-apocalyptic uh, horror thriller book. It's a it's just a stand it's a standalone book. It just came out like in February, I think. Um, probably my favorite book I've read this year so far. 
um, it is one of, I will say for people who are maybe, it's not for the faint heart. It's probably one of the most like gory and also like sexual books I've ever read. <laughs> it's, uh, it's intense in a lot of ways. And it's really, it's a really like grim kind of bleak book, but also has like a ton of genuinely like funny, like dark humor to it. It's about, um, the, the apocalypse, the, the apocalypse that we're post is, um, that there's been some plague that has turned every man into like a feral monster. Basically it's like transformed them. And now they're just like mindless monsters roaming the country. And so the book follows these two trans women who are just trying to survive, um, the feral men and also gangs of, uh, turfs who are trying to like hunt them down. And, um, yeah, it's just about trying them trying to survive in this very horrific landscape and, um, hunting down the feral men's testicles so that they can extract the estrogen from them. <laughs> um, it's very cool. It's very unique. Um, and it's fun and exciting and crazy. Um, a TV show I'll go with is Severance. Have you watched any of Severance on Apple TV? No, but it seems to be blowing up right now. It's like I don't I don't even know what to say about it. It's like it's it's really wild. It's about um people at a company who have had a surgical procedure so that their um their work lives and their personal lives are completely separated. Mm. So like part of their consciousness only exists when they're at work. And they cannot remember anything about like their past life or anything. And then when they go back up the elevator to clock out for the day, they have no awareness of anything that has happened at work. Crazy. Wow. So it's a very interesting premise. And the obviously I'm not going to spoil anything, but the directions <laughs> that it goes are it's it's like it's such a bizarre thing like the office culture and like what these people are doing for their jobs it's all so weird <laughs> that like i don't know even if i wanted to explain it it would not do it justice it's just it's a very bizarre fascinating exciting kind of creepy show and it has like the best opening credits of like anything that i've seen in a long time it's it's such a weird little sequence nice so like tv um, show cover yeah, yeah, exactly, actually. <laughs> um, and the last thing, a movie, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which everyone is also talking about now, um, about basically about this, this woman just trying to get her taxes done, really, and gets drawn into this big, like, multiverse uh, life-ending conflict. Um, the multiverse is so hot right now. Yeah. And this is maybe the best uh, version of it. It's again, it's like it's so weird and bizarre. It's like it's hilarious, but it's also like really gut wrenching. Like you're gonna sob through it, but you're also gonna be laughing hysterically. And it's like so creatively done, both like narratively, but also like just from like a filmmaking level, like the kind of stuff that they pull off with it. I don't know. The whole experience is like it's a really wild ride, and it's probably the best movie I've seen this year. And I don't really know what would top it. <laughs> nice. All right, Travis, we'll tell our listeners what you have going on and where they can find you and your work. 
All right. What I have going on is a new um, book series, the Jekawa series, book one being On Lavender Tides. It's a Pokemon-inspired progression fantasy series. It's my version of Pokemon, got summoners, finding monsters and battling them. And as I said, crossing a Hawaii-inspired archipelago on a pilgrimage. Um, Book one is out right now. Book two will be out in a few months. Um, I've also just wrapped up the Houndstooth series earlier this year. Book one of that is Flesh Eater. Um, That's about, I don't even know, that's about so many things. It's about this fox uh, just trying to uh, get back to his freaking normal life and not have to deal with a bunch of nonsense anymore, I guess, (laughs) is the simplest way to put it. Um, So yeah, you can find those on Amazon. you can check out more info about them on my website, travismriddle.com. M is in a movie, <laughs> I guess. Um, that's about it. Check those out. I think they're good, and you might think they're good also. And even if you don't think they're good, check them out anyway, because then I win either way. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Indie Pub. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a like and subscribe so you won't miss any of our indie investigations or boozy banter. I've been your host, Jay Rushing, and we'll see you back in the pub next time.